0: Hello and welcome back to Secrets Behind the Music Business. I'm your host, Barry Victor, and today we have a special guest with us, founder and CEO of the boutique law firm, Mentor & Associates, Mr. Kendall Mentor. Kendall, how are you doing today?
1: I'm doing fine, Barry, and how are you?
0: I'm doing great. It's a pleasure to have you here today.
1: My pleasure as well. Thank you.
0: Kendall, can you start off by giving us a background of your history in the entertainment business and how you got started?
1: sure 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 so by uh not necessarily nine to five but probably nine to nine time clock i'm a practicing entertainment attorney i've been doing it for over 35 years on a worldwide basis and my clientele uh thank goodness uh represents a variety of folk all throughout the entertainment diaspora so that includes the music industry and all the various facets of the music industry from the creator, like. creative, the artists, the songwriters, to the business side with the managers, the independent label owners, the producers, the executives, the radio uh, jocks. Um, I do work in the film and television space as well, representing a number of artists, actors that are on camera in reality shows that are pretty popular and top of the ratings on Nielsen. Um, as well as folks that are developing concepts for shows, and they will be executive producers or producers with ideas that they're trying to take to the screen. i represented filmmakers and continue to represent filmmakers and actors who are on the live theatrical stage, uh, concert promoters, music publishing companies. So it's pretty much of a mixed bag. The clientele is, is global, um, even though I'm based here in Atlanta, originally from New York City. Um, but I've been doing it for quite a while, and I've been deeply involved in all aspects of the music industry, both as an attorney, as well as an executive, as well as a uh, member of the board of directors of a number of different nonprofit organizations and foundations of the music space.
0: As an executive, what were you an executive? Was that like a record company, a publishing company?
1: We actually, I actually uh, founded. Um, my own independent record label, a number of years ago, called Wave Entertainment. Okay. We were distributed by BMG, and it was a platform for legacy artists, artists from the '60s and '70s, who didn't currently, at that time, have a deal. And we provided a music platform for them and distributed their music worldwide through BMG. Um, I also founded a number of years ago, and you know, we we kind of shut it down when digital really became the predominant form for music delivery over CDs, Mm -hmm. we founded and operated a music distribution company called New Millennium Distribution, myself Mm -hmm. and my partner, Hank Caldwell, who was an executive with Atlantic and also with Sony Epic and also with uh, Dick Griffey's company, Solar Records, uh, as well as Death Row. Mm -hmm. So we ran that for a number of years, distributed quite a few labels, and then the digital explosion kind of took over the marketplace and it drove CDs pretty much out of existence and out of mainstream popularity. So with that, we kind of read the tea leaves on the wall and just rather than be one of thousands of digital distributors just wound the company down. But those were both uh, eye-opening experiences as a label owner and a music distributor to be able to further enhance my information, knowledge, and skill set to serve the clients that I do have
0: okay now the term legacy artist is that something that you actually introduced because now that you say that i can remember seeing that term used and i don't know if before you guys started that because you said there yeah. wasn't really a place for that yeah. before but now i kind of have seen it a lot
1: sure i wish i could have coined the phrase i might have been able to retire on the royalties from it but right you no know, we kind of lump yeah we, we kind of call pioneer artists mm-hmm. legacy artists heritage artists mm-hmm. basically to mean for, for our generation these days, those are the artists from the, let's just say, the 50s mm-hmm. through the 1990s that laid the forefront for today's music scene. Mm-hmm.
0: Wow, that's great. So you were the pioneer of that, or, you know, in some capacity. That's amazing to know. Yeah, oh, we were heard, on the ground before. Yeah, and I heard you mention Solar Records. I know a lot of people aren't familiar with that as well, but I, I had the chance to read the book, um, The Big Payback, and they talked about that label. Mm-hmm.
1: So, yeah. yeah, so, you know, your audience may not know the name Solar Records, but if they're really music fans mm-hmm. and they know the name L.A. and Babyface, mm-hmm. if they know the name Midnight Star, mm-hmm. if they know the name Shalimar, Howard it Jody Watley, mm-hmm. they all were artists that came out of Solar. Yeah. Solar was. Uh, it still stood for The Sound of Los Angeles Records. It was founded by a music icon and entrepreneur at the time who's passed in, in since then named Dick Griffey. Mm-hmm. Um, and he had quite a roster. He was a powerhouse of an independent label owner, a real visionary. He had a great staff and he had a great team of artists. Nice.
0: And so I heard you mention 30 plus years you've been doing this, so I know you have a a ton of of different changes that you've been able to see. So how has the industry changed from a financial standpoint since you started? Do you see less opportunities or more opportunities for artists to make a living? And if so, how?
1: Well, there are more opportunities now, but for fewer dollars. Mm. And the reason is that, um, you know, music as we know it, in terms of consumption from the music business standpoint has changed dramatically with the evolution of digital downloads and streaming. So you know, as most folks know, years ago—and I'm not going back 20, 30 years, but just years ago—CDs were the predominant form of music delivery and music consumption. People would go to the store, you know, whatever it was, Tower or HMB, or you know, uh, they could go even to Walmart and Target for quite a while. Best Buy and buy whatever your favorite album was in either a cd single or a cd mm-hmm. and you know you drop you know um ninety nine if it was a single or fourteen fifteen bucks if it was an album and there were lots and lots and lots of gold albums and platinum albums and literally millions of records being sold every single year which created a multi-billion dollar global music industry well, with the advent of Napster and Grogster and LimeWire and file-to-file peer sharing and the general public getting used to listening to music online without having to pay for it. Once the, you know, the horse is out the barn and there's no saddle on him and it's a free ride, it's hard to saddle that sucker up and tell people they got to pay for it. Right. So, you know, the, the, the dilemma that the people in the music industry face these days in terms of monetizing the content that's created is how do you still get money value for the music that you create and spend money to market and, and put out there? Because with streaming, you have to have literally millions and millions of streams just to add up to. You know, a few thousand dollars in royalty revenue that comes back through to the artist and record company mm-hmm. because of the streaming royalty rates—they're so low. Right. So, if you compare the two, just for economics purposes, and say ten years ago when CDs were predominant, you had the CD. Somebody paid, let's just say, fourteen, fifteen bucks for a CD. They got an album, they got ten songs, and the money from that album then paid the music publishers, it paid the artists, it paid the record companies, and everybody had a decent payday if you had a hit. Mm-hmm. Well, that got replaced by iTunes and Amazon and digital downloads. So people started cherry-picking the album by saying, hey, I don't need this whole album. I don't like it. Mm-hmm. I only like one or two, maybe three songs from the album. So I'm just going to strip those songs from the album, pay 99 cents apiece. So therefore, instead of a fourteen fifteen dollar purchase now you have a purchase that's either ninety nine or a dollar ninety eight or maybe two or three dollars just based on them buying one or two or three songs that they really like so automatically that changed the dynamic mm-hmm. a lot of money left the building has not returned and then streaming comes along which even further reduces and strips that little bit the money that was coming through from digital downloads because Streaming is just, you know, there's no um, fixation of it so that people walk away with something tangible, but they don't care. They want access Mm -hmm. as opposed to possession and control and something you can stick on a shelf. So, as long as people can access music, first they're going to try to access it for free. Mm -hmm. And there are lots and lots of free services, whether it's, you know, Pandora, Spotify, quite a few others that are all free streaming services. Mm -hmm. And then. They try to get you to pay for subscriptions. So let's just say you pay five ninety nine or seven ninety nine or even ten dollars a month for a subscription. Well for that you got millions of songs available that you can listen to. Right. So for ten bucks to listen to millions of songs, what's the incentive to spend ten bucks to listen to one album with ten songs on it for which you only might like three? Right. So the math is just not there anymore and that forces artists. And companies and content creators to be more in you know innovative and and and, and intuitive and creative and how do you monetize your music so mm-hmm. that's why now branding is so important fan engagement is so important how do you capture the fans how do you retain the fans and how do you get those fans to spend money on whatever it is you're putting out or doing so that's where the business is today music is not the end-all anymore Mm -hmm. it is a method to get to another point at which the wallet will be opened
0: Mm -hmm. do you think that streaming will eventually hit a point where it catches up to um itself having a statutory rate like a mechanical rate the 9.1 cents do you think streaming will ever get there
1: I'm not sure that it'll have a statutory rate, but it's pretty close to statutory now because the streaming rates are set by the Copyright Royalty Tribunal, the CRB, CRT, which after a few years of hearings, every few years they come up with a rate that is set that then fixes for the next several years going forward as to what the different streaming services will pay to both the publishers as well as the master owners Mascat, uh, BMI, Csat, and Sound Exchange on the master side, unless it's a direct license. But those are how the rates are set these days. So it's not, you know, wild west. Um, there is a process. There is a fixed rate depending on the type of streaming service you have, um, and that that has a, a similar effect of the statutory rate, which we do have for the mechanical license.
0: Okay, and then so your your stance on it was that there are more opportunities but the dollar amount is smaller so what do you think in terms of the 360 deal when when an artist should take that and under what circumstance because under that deal essentially the record label can get you a lot more opportunities but then the dollar amount is going to be reduced
1: well it's 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 a fiction actually the the whole concept of a 360 deal and its evolution and uh kind of have a real pension for this topic, which is why I wrote my book, Understanding and Negotiating 360 Deals, mm-hmm. is that 15 years ago, when the label saw that the dollars were shifting and they were losing money because CD sales were going away, they looked at how do we make up this lost revenue? Mm-hmm. So part of the way that they discovered they could do that was through the 360 deal. And all the 360 deal really does is it puts the record company on an equal playing field with the personal manager in taking a percentage of everything that the artist makes in the music industry outside of the sale of records, which they already have. So mm-hmm. the record company under a 360 deal, just like the manager, gets a percentage, which could be anywhere from 5 to 25% of touring and merchandising, endorsements, TV and film appearances, book deals, all those kinds of things that a manager has always shared in. Mm-hmm. now you've got the artist has another partner the record company for some percentage of all those different streams of income and if you're a new artist signing a record deal without a 360 clause in it is probably less than five percent mm-hmm. it comes with the paperwork as part of the deal if you're an established artist you have more leverage so you can try to eliminate it or if you can't eliminate it entirely you can make certain provisions in the agreement so that it doesn't kick in until a certain point. Maybe they'll also pay you an additional advance for that bundle of rights, but it's rare, very, very rare, but not impossible that the record company is going to render any additional services to create new revenue under that 360 model.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I also heard that another way to, to reduce the record labels participation is to x out the things that maybe you already had going before them like if you already had a book deal or if you are already into film and television then they're not necessarily helping you get on that platform so that's something that you can keep out of the contract
1: that's correct because the concept between the 360 is they're creating and spending their money to make a brand that brand now has an opportunity to make money across a wide spectrum of entertainment areas so if they're responsible for building the brand why shouldn't they eat off of it and there's a certain logic to that Mm mm-hmm so,
0: did the initial backlash, in your opinion, come from the managers, or do you think it still came from the artists?
1: Oh no, it's the artists, because I mean, the managers are not taking a reduction in their commission, so they're getting paid regardless. Artist makes a thousand dollars at night, managers getting their twenty percent, regardless of whatever the record company's getting. Mm-hmm. So, at the end of the day, it, it is and has to be the artist that stands up for their own rights, because it's coming out of their pocket, mm-hmm. the manager's commission the lawyer's fees, the business manager uh, accounting fees all coming out of their pocket, mm-hmm. the 360 percentage of the label coming out of their pocket, the talent agents 10% for booking the gig coming out of their pocket, the road manager, the band, the hotels, all of the stuff that goes into an artist being you know, successful, that all comes out of the artist's pocket. So the more percentages that go out the door, the fewer dollars the artist takes home.
0: Mm-hmm. Now is this all coming from the net profit Or are some of these uh, different teammates, are they taken from the gross as
1: well? They vary. They vary. I mean, sometimes it's it's gross. Sometimes it's an adjusted gross after certain deductions are allowed. Mm -hmm. Um, And that really comes in on a negotiation by contract basis. And, you know, the manager and the record company all wanted to be on the gross. But if you're the artist or the artist manager or lawyer, you want to reduce that amount that's subject to commission.
0: Okay. Because I'm I'm trying to figure out, like, so say the artist does make 100000 out of show and the manager's percent is 20, so they're getting the mm. 20000 Now, when the record company comes in to get their percentage, is that going to come off the 80000 that's left, or is that going to come off the full 100000
1: Could come off of either of those two depending on how well the contract was negotiated but if you're the artist you want it to be on the adjusted gross after you've paid certain expenses and most 360 deals permit certain deductions off the top before the record company share is calculated
0: got it great Great information okay so for an artist just starting out what are some proven strategies that can help them earn some income whether it's passively or physically earned through shows or appearances
1: well, the, the, the whole thing for developing artists these days is marketing and promotion and branding. Mm-hmm. You've got to be able to get the market hard, set yourself away from the pack of everybody else who released product that week or that month, build a fan base, have that fan base vocal and loud and supportive so that the numbers show up when people do their research and the metrics, the fans are engaged, they're buying your product, whether it's recorded music or t-shirts, whatever it is, you have to have direct fan engagement. Social media is the best, cheapest way to do that. Mm-hmm. It's much easier than having to spend tens of thousands of dollars on radio promotion. Mm-hmm. Um, and then building that fan base gives you a, uh, marketplace that is now receptive to what you're doing. So that will probably lead to larger record companies and music distributors making offers to enter into a contract, could lead to a publishing deal and it'll definitely increase the amount of money that you're getting from touring. Mm -hmm. Um, because that'll come from fan engagement and support.
0: Okay. So what are some of the unique marketing things that you've seen artists do? Like outside, if they're not using social media, are there other ways or do you feel like it's kind of mandatory to use social media to gain awareness?
1: Well, I think today it's mandatory to use social media. It's not the only way to get an audience but it's the cheapest, most effective worldwide way because you can do it from your bedroom. Mm -hmm. It doesn't cost anything. An iPhone or shoot yourself, act as stupid on a video. You put it up and you may have a million views depending on what the content is within a week. Mm -hmm. That doesn't cost anything. And from that million views, if you now turn them into subscribers on your Facebook and your other sites, there's ad revenue that comes from that. Then you've got other things that you can market and sell, not directly but indirectly because it's posted. You can create awareness of the fact that you're going to be in the city performing live. That means ticket sales and concerts. So that's the most effective media because you can reach millions and millions of people without having to go anywhere and spend any money.
0: All right. Now, are there any new ways that intellectual property is being used to generate income? Or like, are there any new ideas on the horizon? Because I was wondering if... Cause I know there's the thing about name, image, and likeness, and then they came out with at the uh, Coachella show with the Tupac hologram. Now, what if someone wanted to put on a tour? They're not physically there, but then they have their hologram, like performing in ten cities or something. Is that something that someone's even thought of? And would that fall under intellectual property because it's your likeness and image?
1: Um, that really wouldn't be intellectual property, and it's kind of unique for the holograms. There's only a few companies that actually do those live holograms at a concert ready. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's only a few artists that have been hologrammed mm-hmm. that people really want to see. I don't see a concert in hologram. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it may be something for the future, but at least for right now, you know, part of the, the whole live experience is to be able to interact with the audience. And you can't interact with a hologram. Mm-hmm. You can just watch it. You know, they can't stop in the middle of the show and point somebody else in the audience and respond to their request for a song or, you know, get interactive the way you do in a live show. You can't do that with a hologram. Mm -hmm. Um, So I don't see that as becoming a major source of promotion and revenue opportunities for most artists. Mm -hmm. But for the basic intellectual property for the music industry, you've got copyrights and trademarks, copyrights in the songs. Trademarks in your name and your logo if you have one um, that gives you protection, exclusive ownership, and control over the property and then, from there, it just really becomes how many different ways can I license and exploit this stuff mm-hmm. uh, whether it's through t v shows and commercials and movies in book deals and endorsements with sponsors who are going to write checks t shirts and various other merchandise and paraphernalia. So that all springs from the same spot of you have a product, how do you get the most return from putting that product out in the marketplace? Mm -hmm.
0: Now those ones that you mentioned seem pretty traditional, like they've been around for a while. Are there any new ones Mm -hmm. that you've been seeing lately?
1: Mm, Nothing really new and unique like that that jumps out that I can recall right now, no.
0: Okay. Um, now, another aspect of the, the industry that I, I think people don't really take seriously is having contracts in order. And maybe people don't do it because they feel like they're not big enough or they're not famous or they don't have a lot of money on the table. But do you feel it's necessary to have a contract for every part of the music business that you partake in, whether you're independent mm-hmm. or you're signed to a major
1: label? Yeah, because at the end of the day, this is a business. Mm-hmm. We call it music business. So it starts if the music ends with the business. But you have to pay as much attention or have someone in your team paying as much attention to the business side of the equation mm-hmm. as you, the artist, the content creator do to the music creation side, because you can create music all day long mm-hmm. and you can make linkups link ups and pass your music on to folks. But unless you have a way to put on the paper, what your rights are, how you are going to get paid, how much you're going to get paid from whom and when, that's what the contract lays out mm-hmm. and without that you are kind of operating with one hand tied behind your back mm-hmm. because if you put a song out you haven't done a split sheet there's disputes and arguments about who wrote what what percentages do they get how, how do they get paid did they agree to the song being out in this manner um, the producer you got to have a producer agreement if you're not producing your own music that says I hired you XYZ producer you did this song. This is what your rights are, which basically I own the master. You don't, um, I, the artist or the record company are going to pay you a royalty for your work when it's sold, maybe some money up front. Well, that's a producer contract. Mm-hmm. If there's an artist signed to a label, they're signed to a contract to that label. So there's an agreement there. When the artist has a manager, there's a management contract. Artist has a booking agent. There's a booking agency contract. So contracts are like the quiet horse that underlies the entire rodeo, but without them, and unless they're done properly, there's going to be problems down the road if the product becomes successful.
0: Do you think it's a lack of knowledge, knowing that people need to get these things done, or do you think at, maybe it's the cost of attorney people are afraid of to have to get these things drafted up correctly? What do you think is the biggest uh
1: uh-huh. I I think a combination of both. Mm -hmm. You know, people first have to have an awareness that they do need an agreement, even if it's friends. Mm -hmm. And then they have to also realize that there's a cost to retaining an attorney to prepare the legal paperwork that you need to protect yourself. But again, that's just another cost of doing business. So you're either in it for the fun or you're in it for the fun and the business.
0: Mm -hmm. What are some um, cases or even like the most common cases where You've seen people didn't know that they need to have certain contracts for. Like, one of them that I've kind of assumed that people don't know about is photography. When you get photos taken, you think just because you paid the person that you have the rights to that photo, unless it's a work for hire.
1: Exactly, and you don't because there needs to be an agreement with the photographer or the videographer, if someone is shooting a video for you for a music video that you want to post online. Mm-hmm. Well, you can pay them, but unless there's a document that says they're giving you the copyrights as a work for hire, mm-hmm. whoever was behind the camera actually owns those copyrights, and they have the right to exploit those pictures or that video uh, to a certain extent, mm-hmm. um, and that creates problems. So mm-hmm. again, it's just knowing that this is a business, there's a paper trail that needs to be uh, solidified, and if you're not sure, you got to know to ask the questions. Mm-hmm.
0: Is it um... owned equally by the person recording and the person who's being recorded? No. Mm-hmm. So how does that work? Yeah, the the rule they have certain rights, like well, the videographer, but they're recording you, the yeah. artist.
1: Yeah. So let's say, for example, there's no contract, mm-hmm. and the videographer is doing a video of you, or you're a photographer and you're shooting a. Possession on someone and they pay you. Mm-hmm. Well, when they pay you, they're getting the video and they have the right to put it up on their promotional site, do whatever they're doing, or they're getting the pictures, yeah. they have the right to post those pictures. But the photographer and the videographer actually own the negatives. Mm-hmm. So they have the right to exploit it themselves. Mm-hmm. Or if you want to do and use that video and, and those photographs, for something other than what you all originally discussed, agreed, and intended, mm-hmm. then unless you come back to the photographer or the videographer for their consent, they could block that by basically saying no to the potential user. You can't use it for this purpose. Mm-hmm. You have to pay me and enter into a license agreement with me mm-hmm. if you want to use it.
0: Does that work on the opposite end as well? Can I For tell your that? artist yeah, can I tell the videographer, I don't want you to post it on this website or do a license deal with this company? Say it's like a, a cigarette company or a pornography channel or something like that. Yeah. Can I block them?
1: Yeah, there are certain rights that you have. Um, for example, if they really want to engage in commercial exploitation of your picture, your image and likeness, then yes, they need your permission to do that. But if mm-hmm. they want to post it like on their website for promotional purposes or put it in a magazine article they don't need your permission for that. Okay.
0: So if things aren't in contract then it's basically based on intent. Wow. Like this is what we and intended to do.
1: Yeah, and and it still leaves a lot of room for uh dispute and mm-hmm. different interpretation, which is why the way to eliminate it is with a contract. Got it.
0: Okay, so if you're an independent artist and you're really self-driven, can you make it in this industry by just having an attorney on your team or do you think it's necessary to have a manager
1: as well? Well, I look at it like a wheel on a bicycle. Mm-hmm. So the hub is the artist and there's multiple spokes. Mm-hmm. So the attorney is just one spoke, but there's all kinds of other spokes that are all important to launching and developing and sustaining a career. Easily, it could be about another six different professionals just on a day-to-day basis, but that's why we call it a team. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, because I, I read a lot of books, and some people have their thoughts on who you should get on your team first. Some people say the manager, and then some people say, oh, you should have an attorney first. So mm-hmm. I just like to get people's ideas you know, on who they feel that person should be. Yeah.
1: Okay. Well, I, you know, I hate to toot my own horn, but I would say probably the lawyer first mm-hmm. because at the point where you have a manager that you want to bring on there's a management contract that has to be negotiated and signed mm-hmm. well who's going to draft and negotiate that management contract for you if you don't have a lawyer
0: mm-hmm. yeah it makes sense i can understand yeah okay so this one here is kind of directed towards uh sampling because i know a lot of people put music out and this is like more for independent artists they'll use tracks that they found on the internet and then put them on itunes So how Mm -hmm. often does litigation happen when an independent artist makes a song with sample material or they download like some beat from the internet and then they publish that for sale through their digital distributor?
1: Well, for one, it's illegal. It's copyright infringement. Mm -hmm. If you used any portion of someone else's work and you haven't secured their permission and a license to do it. So once you do that, you're leaving yourself open and exposed not only to have the stuff taken down immediately by the owner of the original work. Mm -hmm. Um, but also leaving yourself exposed to a claim and a lawsuit, which could ultimately wind up in money damages Mm -hmm. being awarded against you because of copyright infringement. Mm -hmm. So there is no, there are no free rides Mm -hmm. and whether or not you get away with it or you don't is usually a factor of how popular the song is. If nobody knows about the song and it's only got three streams, Nobody gives a crap about what right, you did, right? But, but if that turns out it's got a million streams and it's got five million views, you can be sure if you use somebody else's work and it wasn't licensed, it's going to be a cease and desist, there's going to be a takedown notice, and if you don't comply, there's going to be a lawsuit and you're going to have to wind up paying.
0: Mm-hmm. So are you totally against that? Because I've heard people say that, well, at that point where somebody's suing you, then you're popular enough to make money. So, you know, pay those people off and then go on about your career.
1: Now nah, bad business because you, all you're doing is you're opening yourself up to uncalculated liability. Mm-hmm. It's going to be liability, but you know, why would you want to have to go out and pay potentially tens of thousands, if not in excess of a hundred thousand dollars to a company and a publisher and an artist because you've stolen a portion of their work. You've mm-hmm. been hauled in the court. You have a judgment against you. Your career is taken off and automatically you have this big debt over your head. Mm-hmm. It's not worth it.
0: So how easy is it for an independent artist to get those licenses cleared, to get those samples cleared, um, I would say?
1: I won't say it's a slam dunk automatic because it's never automatic, it's, it's discretionary. Mm-hmm. But there are companies that are out there that are specifically in the business of clearing music rights. Mm-hmm. So if an artist has a record that they have sampled that belongs to someone else, they need to reach out to one of the established companies, and there's about a half a dozen solid companies mm-hmm. that just focus on, on clearing music rights. You pay them their fee. They reach out to the rights holders. They submit your copy. They ask for permission. They ask for a quote as to what it'll take to license. And then you determine whether or not you can afford the license. If you can afford it, you sign it, pay it, and keep on going. If you can't afford it, you go back into the studio and remove the infringing material. hmm
0: now are they a little more lenient to independent artists do they have installing plans like if they do find out it's four thousand bucks to use this sample is the contract always negotiable to be like oh, I'll pay you a thousand bucks every month although I want to put it up right now or is it usually just a flat fee
1: it's usually just a it's usually a flat well for the advance it's a one-time payment I've hardly ever seen installments. Mm-hmm. So whatever the final fee is, you either have it or you don't. If you have it, you're good to go. If you don't, take the song off.
0: Now, is the same true for platforms that are not monetized? Or even if it's like a video, say you use that that sample in a song, but you didn't put it on iTunes, and maybe you put it on Vimeo or something,
1: but it's not monetized? It doesn't matter. Yeah, it doesn't matter. There's no distinction in the Copyright Act between promotional
0: and commercial use okay so what are the most important things that you think an artist should take seriously or be cautious about when it comes to their career because i know you know a lot about the legal side
1: yeah i mean definitely make sure you have a qualified professional team not you know your cousin leroy or (laughs) you know your your aunt jojo you know you need a team around you that does this for a living, has done it for a while, has got a good reputation. Mm-hmm. Because you're only in the developing stage gonna go as far as your talent and your team. Mm-hmm. So if you've got talent and the team is whack, you're gonna be operating at a handicap. So you want a strong team to match up with what you feel is a good talent. Once mm-hmm. that team is placed, you just have to make sure you have the resources, financial and otherwise, to empower everybody to do the best job that they can So they can take your material, your brand, your image, and then make it successful based on their expertise and their contacts and for what they do. Um, Other than that, it really just comes down to God and good timing and the right music that's commercial enough that people want to buy and listen to.
0: Yeah. So what are the, the key players, if you had to name them, that maybe just an independent artist, if I'm just starting out? should I have on my team? Do I, is that an agent, the attorney, manager, photographer? Yeah. Well,
1: um, well, I mean, definitely, you know, we talked about the lawyer, so you do some research and the best research is first word of mouth with people who are already in a business successful where you want to be, who are they using? So referrals, word of mouth referrals Mm -hmm. for managers, qualified managers. It's a little difficult to get a good qualified, respected manager out of the box. So, you've got to build up some numbers, some market share, some fans to give an established manager a reason to take notice of you and want to add you to their client roster because you need them at that stage more than they need you. Mm -hmm. Uh, Business manager, accountant, you want to add in as soon as you're beginning to make money. Talent agent who's going to find you shows, you want to add in as soon as you basically have a fan base and are beginning to get requests for gigs um coming from dead scratch it's hard to get a qualified talent agent because you're not making any money and if you're not making any money they're making even less because they're getting 10 percent of what you're making Mm -hmm. so that's timing um at a certain point as you begin to develop your your promotion and marketing plan you need people that specialize in promotion and marketing Mm -hmm. social media marketing crew a publicist who can get you media interviews and exposure, get you on the red carpet, get you seen to the public in the industry. That's what a publicist does. But that could be twenty-five to $4,000 a month. Mm-hmm. So that's where you need some resources to be able to implement your plan. You can't do it all on good looks and a great song.
0: Right. So what are those resources if there's any associations or organizations that maybe have some of these people that are up and coming that are willing to do it for a low cost or... Just for the passion? What are some questions? It's
1: called mother, father, brothers, (laughs) and friends.
0: Okay. Um, Now, the the next question is kind of more directed towards you personally, not the artist. Because I Mm -hmm. want this question for anybody that wants to be an attorney, per se. How Mm -hmm. is it, in terms of being in conflict, or like morally, a moral conflict when you're working with an artist versus working with a label, do you find yourself in a position to where you're like, nah, I, I don't want to um, give this contract to this artist because I know that it's going to screw them over? Do you ever have to tell that to the label or is it is business is just business and I'm going to serve this to whoever they need me to and I'm going to But if
1: it. you're the attorney, your job is to provide the best representation to your client. hmm so if you're representing the label, the artist needs to have their own attorney who's looking out for their best interest. Mm-hmm. Your job is to make sure you get the best deal that you can for your label client so that they make the most amount of profit and they get market position. Mm-hmm. If you're representing the artist, you want to make sure that you get the best deal for the artist, that the royalty is as low as possible, the advance is as high as possible, mm-hmm. the long-term commitment is as short as possible. So they're diametrically opposed. Yeah. I have clients that are artists. I have clients that are labels. So there's no conflict for me. as who's the client for that particular day or a deal, and that's whose interest I look out for.
0: Mm-hmm. Did you say the the royalty is as low as possible,
1: or did you? Mean to say well, you want the royalty as low as possible if you're the label. You want the royalty as high as possible if you're the artist. Mm-hmm.
0: So what's the the number coming in for a new artist? Is that between like twelve and fifteen percent?
1: Mm, yeah, pretty much so, using a traditional royalty base, yep. Okay.
0: So what are some good alternative revenue streams that's not connected to the music that you've seen work for artists, things that they're doing on the side to generate income?
1: Um, not much. I mean, because it, again, generates from the music. Mm-hmm. So, for example, if you're an artist, the reason somebody's going to want to go out and pay to see you on a show or buy a T-shirt or if you write a book, they're going to want to buy the book. It's because you're successful as an artist. Mm. So, so again, do you recommend it's the that? Writing, music.
0: writing books for artists? Because I don't see it a lot, but I think it would make sense because they're like teaching people how they became successful.
1: No, I'm not looking at it, uh, this is how I did it kind of book. I'm talking about once you're a celebrity, and let's just get outside the poly, with someone everybody knows, the Kardashians, mm-hmm. and maybe by inference, Kanye, since he married a Kardashian. Mm hmm. But look at Kanye and Puffy and Kim Kardashian. Mm -hmm. They are celebrities. Mm -hmm. And because they have celebrities, they're into everything from clothes to vodka to jewelry to books to movie and television shows. Mm -hmm. That's what branding is. Mm -hmm. Okay.
0: I I guess that's kind of what I meant as well, like outside of the, the music. But you see that as being a part of the music because it came out of that celebrity.
1: Yeah, it evolved from the music and then took on all the other nuances where you can sell a bar of soap as long as it's got your picture on it, to somebody's gonna to kind of buy it.
0: Right. Okay. Um my next question is what type of risk does an artist take when they don't do the legal the legal paperwork for all of their music related work up front? Are they losing like, out potentially millions or thousands of dollars by not doing this stuff up front?
1: Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, you're walking a tightrope, and unless you're really, really lucky, most people fall off of the Mm tightrope, and you fall off in an unknown pit where there's going to be some injury, financial and otherwise, and that's the chance you run when you decide you're just going to bucket, close your eyes to normal business practices, and just go for it. Okay.
0: Now, before we get out of here, I want to get your advice for all the up-and-coming artists. What would you say are the key things that you need to do or the steps you need to take if you're just entering today? What is an artist or a songwriter too? Because this is for songwriters, and I know they get publishing deals, so it may be a little different versus an artist chasing a record deal. What are the main things they need to focus on before they even put themselves out there? Is it working on being a better performer? Is it working on writing the best songs? Is it working on building a team first? What's your idea? Well.
1: Uh, it- it all depends depending on where you're coming from, mm-hmm. but let's just say you're uh, uh, an artist that writes their own material mm-hmm. um or some kind of creative or like a producer the you, you got to do a few things first, you want to educate and inform yourself mm-hmm. and you can do that through a gazillion online links you can do that by going to conferences in the music industry that are pretty much all over the country every single month mm-hmm. to learn various aspects of the business side as well as the technical and creative and marketing sides mm-hmm. to network and meet people so you'll know what the music business consists of and looks like and who's involved. Mm-hmm. As well as being at home in your own lab creating the next hit and, you know, maybe working with someone who's more experienced. So you learn the crafts of songwriting. Mm-hmm. You learn the crafts of stage presentation. You learn the crafts of marketing and promotion so that you can bring all of those to bear to excel your career. And then at the end of the day, you got to have a team so that when you do have output and creative stuff, you got a team that can help you take it to the next level.
0: Mm-hmm. Now, are you pro label or are you pro independence? Do you think people...
1: I'm, pro, I'm pro success?
0: Okay. So whichever route it takes to get there. Right. Okay. Yeah. Cause I, you know, I, I read a lot of stuff and there's like a lot of people saying you want to stay independent. But then I can see why someone was, you know, sign with the label, because there's certain things that you can't do. You don't have the machine that a label has to make you famous or get your music overseas. So I kind of see both sides of it.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, if you look at, let's just say, the top 20 artists today, other than someone like Chance the Rapper, mm-hmm. the other 19 are all signed to major labels. Yeah.
0: He's a very rare case.
1: That, yeah. So that ought to tell you something.
0: Yeah. And then, okay, so how do you feel about him in particular? Because there are some people that say he's not independent because he's working with Apple, who has the same budget as a label, and, you know, they're giving him $500,000 up front to stream his album for a week.
1: That's true. He's not independent in essence now, Mm -hmm. but that's not how he started. Mm -hmm. So, again, he did the independent route Mm -hmm. to take him to a major music distributor check. Mm Mm-hmm.
0: Got it. Okay, great. Well, do you have any last words, or is there anything that I didn't ask that you feel like is important for the people that they should know?
1: Well, I got a lot of words, and what I would like to invite your listeners to do Mm -hmm. is to visit, um, in addition to obviously checking out your podcast every week, visit Mm -hmm. our website, our our online information um, and education portal, which is called Ask Music Lawyer. It's just uh, Mm askmusiclawyer.com, and on the site, my team and I over the past couple of years, and we just got off a call earlier today talking about 2018 events, Mm -hmm. we have um, curated dozens and dozens of articles and interviews and stories and pieces of information that are useful to anyone in the music industry, whether you're a creative talent, a business uh, person, or on the legal side. Mm-hmm. Um, we have a resource directory, a global resource directory there. We have consultations. We have a store which has contracts and products just like LegalZoom for the music industry. Nice. So I'd encourage your visitors to check out the site. We're also on Facebook, but the real hardcore information is on the home site, com. and it's free. Um, so knowledge is power, and you can only go as far as you educate yourself.
0: Definitely. Definitely. So before you get out of here, can you let the people know where they can get in contact with you at, even if that's social media or through email? How can they find sure. you?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, a few different ways. Um, you can either go to our Facebook site, which is Ask Music Lawyer, or you can go to our website, which is com, or you can just email me directly at my email address, which is just my initials, is Kamlaw, which is K-A-M-L-A-W at com. And through one of those three mechanisms, we'll make a connect and we can get the party started.
0: Sounds good. Perfect. Well, thank you so much for being with us today. We appreciate all the words of wisdom.
1: My pleasure, Barry. Great launch and uh, success on your on your project as well.
0: All right. Thank you. Talk soon.
1: All right, brother. Take care.
0: You too. Bye.
1: Good night.